So Money Episode 382, Brad Hargraves. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. So Money is brought to you today by Wealthfront. Wealthfront is the most tax-efficient, low-cost, hassle-free way to invest. Now, many of you I know are interested in simplifying your investment strategy. You want to reduce fees. You want to work with a service that you trust. And Wealthfront delivers. It builds and manages your personalized, globally diversified portfolio. To open an account, the minimum is just $500, and that gets you a periodically rebalanced, diversified portfolio of low-cost index funds. There are zero trading fees, zero hidden fees, and advisory fees that are just a fraction of traditional advisors. In fact, Wealthfront manages your first $10,000 for free. To learn more and sign up, visit wealthfront.com forward slash so money. You're listening to So Money, everyone. Welcome back. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Update for everybody. Quick announcement. Follow the leader on CNBC. It's this new show that I've been working very hard at producing and filming and uh, just it's been a lot of work, but it's been such a labor of love. Originally scheduled to air March 23rd, that was this month, but now we're pushing it to April 6th because we want to just do some final touches. It's actually a really smart move that they're making. So April 6th is the new air date, the new premiere. So set your calendars. And of course, up until then, I'm going to be sending you lots of uh, information. If you haven't signed up yet for my newsletter at farnoosh.tv or at somoneypodcast.com, do that so that you can stay in the loop and hear all about some of the giveaways that we're doing ahead of that, how to tune in. Um, so just quick update on that. I've been talking all about March 23rd and I just found out myself. So April 6th, got it? Great. Okay, today's episode is about a really interesting movement that's going on in this country, starting largely here in New York because rent is just so astronomical. It's called co-living. Have you ever heard of that? I mean, I've heard of co-working. I work out of WeWork here in New York City, which is this community office space. It's a, at this point, I think it's international, uh, where they give you an office or a workspace, but then you get to share resources like the printers and coffee and the kitchen and boardrooms. Brad Hargraves is the founder and CEO of Common, and maybe you've heard of it because it's been getting a little bit of press lately. Common is dedicated to making housing better, more affordable by providing flexible, community-minded, shared homes. So not like you're going to go on Craigslist and find five or six roommates. This is highly curated. Previously, Brad was the co-founder of General Assembly, a global education institution with campuses in more than 15 cities worldwide. And a fun fact, my husband, Tim, works at General Assembly here in New York. That's how he met Brad, and that's actually how I met Brad. Interested to learn a little bit more about Brad's latest venture called Common. Brad is very accomplished. He was a venture partner at Maveron. He also earned recognition by Vanity Fair's The Next Establishment. He's been Inc. Magazine's 30 Under 30, Business Insider's Silicon Alley 100. And now he's on So Money People. How great is that? Thanks so much to Brad for joining us. Some of the questions that I had for him going in, you know, 
co-living. Can you just define that for me? Like, what's that really like? Who is it best for? Who is it not good for? What can you really save by co-living? Is it worth it? And Brad's biggest mistake is he was launching his career as an entrepreneur after college. Here we go. Here's Brad Hargraves. Brad Hargraves, welcome to So Money. Co-living, is that the future? I can't believe it. Welcome to the show. Uh, Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. So Brad, I know you because um, you're a household name in our house. My husband works at General Assembly, a company that you co-founded. And GA, as it's commonly known, is a phenomenal international education institution. It's got campuses in multiple cities worldwide. And my husband works at GA um, as a software developer. It's where he met you and um, recommended you actually as a guest on the show because he said, you know, Brad is up to some amazing work, continuing to um, just really uh, disrupt, and Common is your newest venture. Tell me a little bit about Common, this concept of co-living. I get co-working. I work out of a WeWork office. I value having the ability to be able to share resources, connect with other people in a business environment. And you're kind of taking that model in some ways to a living model. Tell me a little about Common and why you think it's going to be successful. Sure. So while we were building General Assembly, my co-founders and I, we saw a real need for a type of housing that doesn't really exist right now. Something that is flexible, convenient, and is built into a sense of community the way so many residential buildings are not, but co-working spaces are increasingly embracing. Um, you know, we would have many students, instructors, employers, uh, and friends as well who would move to these uh, hip urban centers, places like New York, San Francisco, D.C., and Los Angeles, and really struggle to find a place to live. And at the end of the day, many would end up living with roommates, typically roommates that they found on Craigslist. And this was just a bad experience for everyone. Um, They didn't know the people they were moving in with. They often had to move on very short notice. Uh, They were in these buildings where in many cases, nobody knows each other. Um, and it's a fairly lonely way to live, especially if you're new to a city like New York. So we started Common to uh, build a housing product that really works better for the needs of people who would otherwise be living with roommates. So we do a few things to make that roommate experience better. Um, one is that everyone gets a private room, so there are no uh, bunk beds or anything like that. Everyone has private space. That's good news. Uh, it's great news. Uh, we clean everything every week, so you know people often fight over, um, you know, who is going to, uh, you know, for instance, clean dishes or um, take out the trash, and we take a lot of that onto ourselves. Um, so roommates don't fight over that. Similarly, you can imagine the kitchen supplies, the paper towels, the toilet paper. And then finally, the furniture. Uh, you know, roommates, when they move into a place, um, they often bring their own furniture. You know, someone will bring the couch. Someone else will bring the TV. Uh, but the issue is that you know, when one of those roommates leaves, they'll take the couch with them. So now you don't have a couch. 
So and it's also a pain when you're moving from place to place to drag all your furniture with you. So in many cases, what people end up doing is buying really cheap furniture when they move in and then either selling it or more likely throwing it away uh, when they're ready to move out. So we furnish everything uh, just to make that experience so much more seamless. Um, and then finally, but I'd say most importantly, is this sense of community, um, which is you know, somewhat hard to describe, but is extraordinarily important. Um, you know, we do potluck dinners every Sunday night. You know, our members put on a lot of events. Uh, they've started their own movie nights, started their own book clubs. We use Slack. The enterprise chat application actually is hooked up to all of our buildings so people can, uh, can communicate with each other in real time. And we found that to be just a, a great addition to, uh, to our community. So we opened our first home in Brooklyn, New York in October of this past year. We just opened our second one in January. Um, and we're opening our third one, which is, uh, significantly larger. It's, it's, uh, 52 rooms, um, in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, um, in April of this year. So, uh, we've seen a lot of demand. We've gotten over 2000 applications so far. Uh, wow. so really, yeah, it's uh, you know, there's clearly a need, clearly something uh, something that we've uh, that we've hit on and and are doing right. Um, so right now, it's it's just really the focus is making sure we can uh, have the inventory to continue to grow. Can you talk about pricing? How you compare and how you compete with market rates right now? I know rent is just I mean, even in Brooklyn, it's really high. Um, what's the savings? Yeah, totally. So the way to think about common. Um, is we think about our, you know our pricing needs to be first and foremost inclusive. The supplies, the cleaning, there's free laundry in the building. Um, you also are not paying a broker fee, and you're get, getting the furnishing alongside that as well. So what we didn't want to do is have a you know low base price with nickel and diming above that. So we wanted to make sure our our, uh, our pricing was inclusive. Um, we also wanted to make sure our pricing um, encouraged long term commitments but also enabled flexibility. So we allow for month-to-month leases, um, but uh, you know, if you want to commit to a 6- or 12-month term, we'll offer a discount in exchange for that. Um, at a high level, the way to think about Common is that we're about a you know, 25% premium to your typical roommate share on Craigslist, um, and at about a 25% discount to a studio apartment in the neighborhood. So we're kind of somewhere between those two options in that you obviously have less private space than you would get in a studio, but you have access to way better shared spaces. So rather than having your own uh, hot plate and mini fridge, you have access to a beautiful giant kitchen that you're sharing with four or five other people. So the idea is that, and, and we've seen this really resonate with the user, that you're spending a little bit less money to have a little bit less private space, but access to uh, really great um, shared spaces. So that's the value prop and the trade-off of uh, coming to live in common. What's the number one benefit people say to you why they came to a, a shared living space? Aside from fl- the price, obviously, the, the it's being a lot more affordable. I would say for me, it'd be the flexibility because I know, especially in cities like New York, it's very strict. You often have to sign a twelve-year lease, a twelve-month lease. <laughs> Wouldn't landlords love a twelve-year lease? Um, yes. A twelve-month lease, like for us, you know, we were trying to find a short-term housing situation when we were renovating our apartment, 
And it was nearly impossible. We turned to Airbnb because we couldn't find yeah. anything that was just like a two month stay. Um, you know, so I feel like for me, it'd be flexibility. But what, what are people telling you? Yeah. So I would say it actually changes as people stay in common longer. So when people first move to common, often the reason they decide to come live here is because of the convenience. And convenience is related to flexibility, but it's not exactly the same thing. So we do have some people who sign, uh, actually I would say about half our members sign a 12-month lease with common uh, because they're not, they're not looking for flexibility, although some people certainly are. Um, but they're looking for kind of not having to deal with a lot of the annoyances that come with living with roommates, you know, splitting the bills on, uh, shared goods and on furniture, going out and finding and buying that stuff, um, having to go through an annoying kind of broker and lease process is another, you know, we, uh, have a simple online onboarding flow, uh, that when someone wants to join common and has picked out a room they want. Um, it takes about 10 minutes. You sign a lease electronically. You sync your bank account. Um, and it just feels way different than your typical uh, broker fee and ream of paper and cashier's check that are typically uh, found when you sign your own lease. So the convenience is why people show up. The community is why they stay. So you make friends in common. The idea, and everyone buys into this idea, is that you know your neighbors. Um, and you do things with your neighbors. Um, going across the hall to borrow the proverbial cup of sugar is not mm -hmm. a strange thing at common. And a lot of people think, uh, you know, they, they may discount it at first and not really understand it. But ultimately, it's the reason why a number of people actually shift from a month to month term to a six or a 12 month term uh, is because they love that community. So, Brad, you studied molecular biology and economics at Yale. <laughs> yes. Okay. I did. So, connect those dots for me. You did that. So now, you know, Common is for all intents and purposes in the business of real estate. And you would even say the General Assembly was at one point in the business of real estate because it started out, I believe, as co-working, right? Or um, yeah, something so like that. So we had a, a co-working space at the beginning of, of General Assembly. Um, you know, we kind of got out of that business pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I would say I, I can't really connect the dots because the dots don't necessarily connect. <laughs> um, I've, I've done kind of a, a wide, wide range of things. Um, I would say if there is kind of a, is kind of a common thread, it's kind of technology and the intersection of online and offline. So what I think both General Assembly and Common do really well is bridge the gap between, you know, online communication and technology and offline experiences and delivery. So I really believe that, you know, if you can hybridize online and offline in the right way, uh, there's really something magical to that. It's not about taking everything and putting it online, because I actually think people really value offline experiences, especially in this hyper-connected world where we're on our phones all the time. I think people put a premium on having some sort of in-person interaction. And so, but if, but if you can enable that and make that easier to deliver and a more seamless experience by leveraging online technologies, uh, I think that's where magic can really happen. So look at, uh, you know, Common, for instance, we have this beautiful online onboarding flow. We use online communication technology for our community and for scheduling events and to connect people. Uh, but then the core of the experience happens 
uh, offline happens in the homes themselves. And I think that is a, uh, you know, that is a really powerful thing. And if you kind of look across, um, you know, my career and things I've done. So before General Assembly, I ran a game development studio uh, that actually built games that had both a hybrid online and offline element. That is, they were played and kind of um, guided online, but a lot of the interaction took place offline in person. Um, and I actually think that's really powerful for gaming as well as for uh, education. You do whatever it takes to make sure your business runs efficiently. I know this firsthand, but constant trips to the post office can get in the way. With Stamps.com, you'll be able to spend less time at the post office and more time growing your business. Stamps.com makes mailing and shipping easy. Use your own computer and printer to buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package. Stamps.com does all the thinking for you. With the digital scale, it will calculate the exact postage needed and helps you decide the best class of mail based on your needs. Join over 500,000 small businesses that use Stamps.com and never go to the post office again. For me, Stamps.com makes it so easy to send out copies of my books when I do a giveaway or share it with editors, and it comes in handy when I have to get a contract in the mail, all from the comfort of my own office. Right now, sign up for Stamps.com and use my promo code SOMONEY for this special offer, which includes a four-week trial plus a $110 bonus offer, including postage and a digital scale. Don't wait. Go to Stamps.com. Before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in so money. That's stamps.com. Enter so money. So you started this in New York City, and here we are also. This, and the mayor has uh, Bloomberg before he uh, left office. A big part of his mission was to create more affordable housing for New Yorkers. And now we're talking about micro apartments, which I still think are overpriced. Uh, I don't know if you've read about this, but and they have, you know, wait lists uh, to the moon, people trying to get into these tiny apartments, essentially, um, where, you know, they still get all the great amenities like a doorman, an elevator and um, 24 hour services. But it's, it's, and it's at a fraction, quote unquote, fraction of the market rates, but it's still like, I think, I don't know, I believe it's around 900 to $1,500 a month. And, you know, you're getting a tiny, tiny place to live in. Um, have you thought about working with the city to expand on common, like actually work with the bureaucracy of that is New York City to get this, uh, to scale this? Or do you not? How do how does that work? Like how how do you need to cooperate with the city to to build out this this idea? Yeah, I, we, you know we we haven't done anything specific to this point. I think at, you know up to this point we've been very focused on getting the product right and making sure we're delivering the right experience before we embark on any kind of long term partnership. You know because those processes take a long time to happen. Um, you know, the, the micro units at Carmel place, uh, which is, I think what you're referring to, um, just opened, um, this past, past month, despite, you know, that RFP initially going out, you know, kind of midway through the Bloomberg administration. So these things take a long time to get done. And, you know, in order to kind of lock in a model that you're confident rolling out opening, five, six, seven years in the future, you have to be very confident in exactly how every piece of the ecosystem works. So right now we're still getting in the, uh, 
you know, kind of getting it right and honing in on the right value proposition um, range. And yeah, the, the pricing thing is extraordinarily challenging because especially if you're going into a neighborhood like Kipps Bay, which is where the micro units are, you're really competing with luxury condos. Um, and all the land is priced, assuming that luxury condos are going to be built on that land. So it's, it's very challenging um, to, in, in, a, in, an, in an environment like today, unless you're going out deep into the outer boroughs, you know, to build anything other than luxury, um, unless you're getting subsidies from uh, a, a government. Mm-hmm. And if you're doing that, um, you know, you have to be ready for the kind of five to seven year journey of, of, of doing that. So, you know, I, I think, you know, just to get to the root issues of affordability, you have to really look at land pricing and the way we think about land, um, because that really does drive kind of all the costs through the system. You know, when you're buying land at, you know, $2,000 per you know, $1,000, you know, even per buildable square foot, um, it's very hard to build anything that kind of comes out at a reasonable price point um, on the back end of that. And we know New York City, the one thing we don't have is land at this point. Everything <laughs> right, is exactly. getting demolished and rebuilt. And so for my listeners who a lot of them aren't a lot of them are in New York and many are outside of New York and all, all across the, the globe. What's the next frontier for common outside of New York? Have you thought about it? Oh, of course. I mean, one of our uh, selling points, and obviously it's not that important right now, but it will be as we grow to our customers that they can move seamlessly between empty rooms at common. So actually we allow them to move within between empty rooms at common with 24 hours notice. Uh, as long as they've spent at least 30 days in their current room. Um, and we do that to maintain the, the quality of the community as well as uh, to make sure we're not accidentally becoming a hotel. Um, so as long as they've stayed in their current room for at least 30 days, they can move 24 hours notice to any empty room. Now, that's not that big of a deal right now because we only have two buildings and they're both in the same borough. Uh, but as we grow, as we grow into different neighborhoods, different cities, um, I think that's a really strong part of the value that people see in it um, that kind of gets to the heart of that flexibility while still maintaining it as uh, as a community. So that's really, you know, a, a big frontier for us, um, as well as just continuing to add more offerings and, uh, you know, add more inventory to the market. So, Brad, this is good. Now we're going to transition to the so money portion of the interview. And uh, I'm really excited to hear what your perspectives are on money. Um, you know, you were Inc. Magazine's 30 Under 30, Business Insider, Silicon Alley 100. Do you have a financial philosophy that you live by that's very much um, true to your personality and uh, has helped you kind of build your, your personal wealth throughout the years? Sure. So, uh, you know, I would, you know, the way, the way I view it is, you know, I, I, I've been married for a little bit over a year now. Um, you know, been, uh, all in all with, um, my now wife for, uh, almost eight years and, you know, we're both entrepreneurs. Uh, she runs a business called Stacklist, which, uh, um, is a tool and service, um, review and recommendation site for startups. And so it's a two entrepreneur household. And, you know, we have a wonderful, wonderful relationship. And, um, you know, she is my, my best friend. Um, and 
One of the things we do, though, to maintain that relationship is to a point we use some best practices from business in our in our relationship. So let me give you an example. Um, you know, we have quarter, a thing called quarterly planning, which is every quarter we sit down for two to three hours on a Saturday afternoon um, and we run through all the major aspects of our life. We run through kind of our, our, our household. Um, we run through our financials. Um, we go through our, our social life, like who haven't we seen lately? Um, you know, what trips are we taking? Where are we going? Um, and we just kind of do this, you know, think about it as a board meeting for our relationship. Mm-hmm. And obviously there's a big financial element to that. And it kind of keeps us honest on the financial side um, when you actually have a real session where you're kind of reviewing everything. Um, but what it does that's actually most important is it takes all those kind of conversations that, uh, you know, can become, you know, one-offs that can hijack a date night or, uh, become a kind of regular recurring annoyance and create a space for them and to say, Hey, you know, yes, we have this particular piece of financial anxiety, um, rather than just letting that anxiety kind of seep into everything, let's like take it, let's compartmentalize it, put it in a box and say, hey, this is my anxiety. Let's put this on a list and bring it up at the next quarterly planning. And, you know, I, I, I don't think I'm one that should be uh, dispensing, um, you know, financial advice. But, you know, I, I think if you have a kind of strong partnership and strong relationships at home, um, everything just becomes so much easier. And kind of that's been a wonderful thing that's enabled both of us to live entrepreneurial lifestyles. Um, you know, we watch our personal burn rates really closely. You know, uh, we're, we're careful about, you know, how much are we burning every month? You know, because as an entrepreneur, um, you're not necessarily earning, you know, that salary that comes in every month. Um, you know, you have to wait for a deal to close or liquidity or something like that. And so you do, you kind of have to run your personal life a little bit like a startup. Um, and I think that in the right doses at the right levels is, is a good thing, not a bad thing at all. What makes you financially anxious? You talked earlier about putting those things in a box. <laughs> sure. Well, you know? I mean, you know, if you, if you think about you know, the, the entrepreneurial lifestyle and if you are, you know, occasionally, you know, say taking money off the table or that's an option down the road or it may be an option down the road. But in the near time, near term, you're taking, you know, a low salary to preserve as much cash as possible in your business. Um, that causes anxiety. Like it's not good to see, you know, as a couple losing money every month. Um, even if you know that kind of that's part of the plan. Um, and that's, you know, kind of a construct of living an entrepreneurial life and, 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 and doing things like this, um, you know, that creates a lot of anxiety. And certainly when you, you know, go and try to, you know, sign a lease or apply for a mortgage, um, you know, that can, uh, that can also cause trouble there. What was your upbringing like? What was your exposure to money? Your greatest money memory growing up as a kid? Oh my God. I mean, you know, I grew up in a, a very rural environment. Um, you know, I grew up in South Arkansas. Um, Where's the accent? <laughs> a, a few drinks in and you'll hear it. Um, <laughs> okay. So I'm drinking right now. I don't know about you, but. I'm fair enough. <laughs> um, 
So it's, um, you know, I would, I would say, you know, my, my parents did a, a, a wonderful job, I think, you know, um, not, you know, kind of making money front and center as, as a part of, uh, a, a part of my upbringing, but still making sure I was, I was aware of it and understood, uh, understood the value of it. Um, but you know, it, it, it didn't frankly play much of a role in, you know, I would say we were, you know, solidly, you know, middle of the middle class, you know, never really played a, a, a massive role. And my parents didn't really talk about it. Um, so it wasn't really something I thought a whole lot about until obviously you go to college, you start accumulating your own bills, your own expenses, need to find a way to pay for things. So, uh, my first business actually ever was, um, buying antique furniture off of universities. And, um, while I was in, you know, a freshman in college and selling it, um, online, um, so we would buy you know these beautiful antique card catalogs. We would buy desks. We would buy uh, chairs and bookshelves from you know mostly Ivy League schools, and uh, you know uh, sell them. Uh, you know, kind of had a distribution network and and sold them online, and that was a you know wonderful business. And we saved a lot of antiques from the trash heap. So how did you learn about money if you didn't learn? I mean, maybe it wasn't front and center growing up. Perhaps you just learned it through osmosis, watching your parents uh, or just experiencing life. But um, I'm just curious, you know, what would you attribute your financial wherewithal to? Yeah. So, I mean, I would say I kind of certainly, uh, you know, learned it trial by fire in some Mm -hmm. ways in in college, um, not really having... Uh, a whole lot of experience with it, concept of it, um, opening my first bank account, things like that. Um, and then obviously when you get into business, you know, I, I, I raised my first round of venture money when I was a junior in college. Um, just managing that, obviously I made a ton of mistakes, um, you know, front and center. So I think a lot of it just came kind of in those early business experiences. Uh, and, you know, fortunately was able to, you know, was able to translate into, um, you know, was able, was able to translate into, you know, success at general assembly. Um, and then at, you know, obviously it's a, it's always a learning process. It's not like I learned a lot of things, you know, really early and then now I'm applying them. I learned things every single day. Um, you know, I learned a ton from my, you know, my co-founders and the, you know, executives we hired at General Assembly, like things I, I, I didn't, I, I had no idea of, um, and things that are hugely influential to me as I build common things, ways to structure deals, ways to think about real estate. Um, you know, that, that I really do think was, uh, you know, process of like, uh, uh, you know, learning it the hard way in a business environment. So what was your hardest lesson learned with regards to perhaps either personal finances or running a business, whichever comes to mind first. So I I mentioned a little, a little while ago that I was running a a gaming company before, um, before I started general assembly and that company unfortunately did not work out. And we were in this really terrible phase for about a year and a half, um, where our, uh, our lead investor was kind of funding us, on a quarterly basis. So, you know, we went for almost two years with never having more than three months of cash in the bank. Um, and that is a long time to go 
constantly fundraising and never really being able to make long-term decisions. And I think going forward, certainly with General Assembly and uh, as well with Common, just making sure that you know you always have a cushion, that you always have um, options under options under options. You always have another fallback on the financial side, just so you can make long-term decisions. Because you know, being in the real estate industry as we are in Common, you know, with a big technology piece as well, you have to make a lot of long-term investments. You know, some of the deals we're working on, you know, they're not going to open until 2018, 2019. And we want to make sure we're still around as a business then. Um, and we're still thriving and we're still able to um, support the growth of these properties. So just making sure that you know, there are many fallbacks on the financial side is extraordinarily important. Yes. Yeah. All right, Brad, we have a few minutes left. So before we go, I want to ask you to participate in our So Money Fill in the Blanks. This is when I start off a sentence and you finish it. First thing that comes to mind. And here we go. First of all, is this is this cool with you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. It's very stream of consciousness, I hope. So here we go. If I won the lottery tomorrow, the first thing I would do is... I would go back to Vietnam. I had an amazing trip there. Um, my honeymoon after I got married, beautiful, incredible place. And I would want to think a lot about uh, what I would do with that money. So uh, I, I would want to do that thinking in Vietnam. Wow. So um, anything you would do different this time? You were there for your honeymoon. Is there anything you like going back want to do differently? Oh, I would probably spend more time in the cities. I, I was mostly outside the cities, out out in the country, and that was beautiful. But you know, I would love to spend more time in in, in uh, Saigon, mm. spend a few days there. But I would love to spend more time there. The one thing I spend on that makes my life easier or better is <laughs> Ubers and Lyfts. Okay, yeah. You're in? Are you based in New York? Yes, I yeah. am. Yeah. So Lyft is. Doing okay here? I feel like it was. It got kind of a shaky start. You know, I have become a hardcore Lyft fan over the past six months. Um, I don't know what it is, but just the quality of my experiences between Uber and Lyft in New York City have mm. diverged dramatically over the past six months. And I've heard this from friend after friend after friend. Um, I, yeah, I know they had a bit of a rocky start, but I think uh, I think they're them. they're the better option now. All right. In this gonna, city, in this gonna, city, at least. Yeah, I'm going to give them a try because I feel, I've, although I'm, I use Uber a lot. Um, I feel as though lately the the quality of the drivers, like the cleanliness of the cars, the the courteousness of the drivers, just it's not been consistent as it once was, and I wonder if they're just growing too fast. Um, yeah, you worry it's a race to the bottom that, yeah. uh, you know, that you hear they keep cutting fares, cutting fares, cutting fares. And obviously, you know, as a consumer, I, I always love, you know, a lower price. But um, you have to wonder if that isn't chasing a lot of good drivers. Mm, yeah. You know, that, that plus like the lack of medical benefits and all the things that come along with uh, not being a full-time employee. Um, if that isn't chasing a lot of good drivers off. Yeah, it's true. Okay. One thing I splurge on big time, I spent a lot of money on this, but I wouldn't have it any other way is? I want to say road trips. My wife and I take <laughs> a road trip uh, every year. Um, like you get in the some- car road trip? Yeah. Like we get in a car road trip. Um, you know, living in New York City, I think I would forget how to drive if I didn't do this. 
Um, So, yeah, we do a road trip every year. I wouldn't say we splurge. Like, we try to have at least one, like, awesome, like, resort experience at some point, like the beginning or the end of the trip. Um, But I would say it's a splurge in terms of time. Um, you know, time is, mm. is money. And I would say it's just as valuable. That's and a great so that's, answer. I've never had any guests. I've had 300 guests on this show. You're the first one who said that you splurge on time. Yeah, no, it's absolutely like I consider because if I spend money, it's like, okay, that that's, that that's fine. It's, it's, it's money. But when I splurge on time, that's where I really feel guilty. That's where I'm like, oh, wow. I just, I just treated myself there. I love that answer. Okay. One thing I wish I had learned about money growing up is. Oh, wow. Um, the, uh, the, the power of compound interest. Yeah. Don't we all? Can you imagine <laughs> if you started saving like a dollar a week since you were five? What, then, what is it? Can you imagine if it? you had started saving, say, a dollar a week? at the age yeah. of five, and then maybe the older you got, you made it $10 a week, $100 a week. Things might have been different. Po- the most powerful force in the universe is compound interest. The you know who said that? of the world, yeah. Albert Einstein said exactly. that. Exactly. <laughs> um, all right. When I donate, I like to give to blank because... So I, um, you know, and both at General Assembly, um, as well as now, big supporter of Pencils of Promise, um, you know, I believe in education and the power of education. Um, you know, their mission is going in and building technology enabled schools, um, in the, in the developing world. Um, I'm a huge fan of that organization and, uh, and, and what, and the work they do. And last but not least I'm Brad Hargraves. I'm so money because. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I really look at it's about creating great product experiences. If you create great products and you bring uh, an eye for user experience design to an area or a field like residential real estate where nobody's really thinking about it, um, I think you can build a great and successful and sustainable business. So I, I like to think that's what I do in, uh, in all my ventures. And that's why you're so money. Thank you so much, Brad. Really great to finally connect with you, learn more about Common. And um, everybody, your website is bhargraves.com. And the Common website is highcommon.com, right? That is correct. All right. We'll be checking it out. And thank you so much. Have a great rest of your year. You too. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks again to Brad. Awesome guest. His website is bhargraves.com. Common's website is highcommon.com. All this information back at somoneypodcast.com. And remember, if you haven't signed up for our newsletter or the email list, please do. It's the best way to stay in touch. Get some recaps of the podcast in case there was a week or two that you missed it because you were, you know, living life and you didn't have time to listen to a daily podcast. I try to keep everybody up to date on everything that's going on. So stay involved. That's the best way to do it. And of course, while you're at somoneypodcast.com, click on Ask Farnoosh and send me a question because that's the best way for us to connect, for me to hear your questions, to hear what's on your money mind. Every Friday, I turn the table and answer your biggest money questions. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. Remember, April 6th, follow the leader on CNBC. See you then and back here. In the meantime, hope your day is so money. So money.